You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Thank you, David, worship team, new members. Delighted to have you officially on board. Please stay after the service. We'll get bank numbers, social security numbers, stuff like that. Just kidding. Just kidding. Well, we had a concert here last night. Uh, Sandra McCracken, really wonderful, wonderful concert. What a heart, beautiful Word in song, just word sharing with us. But I cheered and hollered so much during that concert that I thought I might not have voice this morning. I was a little worried about that. Well, actually, the cheering and the hollering was a little later. But if you're here for the first time, we extend to you a special welcome. I see some new faces this morning, which means you may have only been coming six or seven months. So uh, if you're new, if we've not met, please introduce yourself to me after the service. I would love to get to know you. Well, we're doing a session or a series on missions. Missions. So what is missions as it relates to the church? For that matter, what is missions anyway. And I'm using missions in the singular like politics. So if that didn't sound right to your ears, it's technically correct. We all know that great verse in the Bible that says gospel missions is, and then it goes on to explain it, right? Well, no, there is no such verse in the New Testament. The concept, though, is all through the New Testament. And even though the ESV only uses the word mission once in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve, and the NIV only once in Acts twelve twenty five, accounts of God sending his people on mission are scattered throughout the New Testament. We recognize, I think most people would recognize that the 12 apostles had a unique role in all of church history, in all of history for that matter of fact. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus being the cornerstone. Good chance we're going to think a lot more about Jesus as the cornerstone next Sunday morning on Palm Sunday. The point of Ephesians 2 is that the, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets becomes the foundation for the New Testament scriptures. And that is how we know anything about a relationship with God, how that works, how to come into relationship, and how we are supposed to live as believers. The Lord has given us both purpose and direction for life, which includes worshiping Him, building up believers, and sharing the gospel with the lost. We call this mission. 
When the church addresses its responsibilities to spread the gospel, to take the gospel, send the gospel to the far reaches of the world, we call that missions. Even though the apostles had a unique role in the early church, we can learn a lot about life and mission from Jesus' interactions with them. And and this morning, we're going to talk about a time when Jesus sent the 12 out. There was another time when he sent sent 72 of his followers out on mission. But this morning, we're just talking about the 12 going out. So one of the key tasks of all believers, led by elders and teachers in the church, is to determine what in Scripture was meant only for that time and what applies to our day. Almost everything has some application in the day, but we have to be very careful. Interpretation and application is like this. Just imagine this is a a circle on on a twister board game, and I'm standing on this this circle. It is the interpretation of of the verse. You have to know the context surrounding it, what were the historical settings, all of that Uh, to understand what the writer was saying to the people of the time. That's what the Lord was communicating to them. Take this and go out here, and now you've got maybe three or four more circles, and these circles are application. A lot of people, though, will stand on one of these points of application as if it is the interpretation. And then they will go out here and apply it all over the place. So make sure you know what it means. Now, when Jesus is talking to the 12, they've got a unique relationship. There are some things that apply only to them in this setting, and there are some things that, that apply to all of us, or at least the principles apply. So if we believe that every verse or passage has a specific interpretation and possibly, but not necessarily, multiple applications for our day, we understand that we cannot isolate a particular verse and make it fit our particular circumstances. We must not work from our life's circumstance, all of the, the, the things that are going on in our lives, and then go back to the Scripture. We have to soak in the Scripture, understand the Scripture, and that will guide us as to how we should live. As helpful as it is to Google verses about grief or God's will or relationships, it's far better to know the Word And to be guided by the truth of Scripture rather than seeking a verse, to find a verse that will help you get through your current trial or conundrum. Figure out what it is you're supposed to know. That's why so often in in the book of Acts, you'll see Paul saying, it seemed best. We thought it good. It's not that he prays, Lord, what should I do at this point? And he goes into a trance, and then he says, okay, now I know what to do. No, as many times as not, Tim Tim Keller says this, God's will is more readily seen through closed doors than it is open doors. So know the word, live your life. The Holy Spirit is leading you if you have a word-saturated life. Does all of this make sense? Today's text is going to provide an opportunity for us to witness 
this principle of biblical interpretation at work. It's not likely to radically alter the way you understand the Bible, not in one time, but it might help you to look below the surface when you read the Bible. And please don't think, man, I'll never be able to understand. You will. You will. There'll be this little foundation building. You're not even knowing what's going on. And then all of a sudden, there'll be an epiphany one day. And everything begins to make sense in ways that it never did before. So hopefully that'll happen a little bit today. But if not, that's okay. There's a lifetime ahead of you to go deeper and broader into the implications of the gospel. And to learn how God speaks to his children through his word. Last week we talked about Philippians 4.13. And how... It's so often misused. It's pretty discouraging when you say, oh man, I can't use that verse like I thought I could. How can I understand anything in the Bible? Hang in there. I remember that. Most of us do remember realizing, I'm just thankful Will Smith wasn't here when I did that on. No, that was terrible. I, I did not. If I think it ahead of time, I'm going to say it. You know, I'm all week long, the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that, don't do that. Ah, well, Matthew 10, let's get to it. Jesus commissioned his disciples for a short, short-term mission trip. This is a very brief time they're going to go, be going out and, and witnessing. There is much that we can apply to modern-day church missions, although there are elements of this mission that do not necessarily apply to us. The Great Commission, which was given to the apostles and by extension to all believers, uh, will be seen here. But then this is a briefer trip with some specific instructions for this trip that don't apply to long-term missions necessarily. I'll read our text with a few comments from Matthew 10, 1 through 42. That's a big chunk of scripture right so again we're just sort of trying to get an overview and seeing how scripture works with regard to mission and missions and after that we'll hear from a a couple more members of our our mission team two new members this will be the last panel but I think you're really going to enjoy this today and hopefully you have all of them and after the panel then I'll conclude with just some brief thoughts about the mission that all believers are given, but some understand in more detail in terms of location and periods of life. So Matthew 10, please remain seated. This is a long text, beginning with verse 1. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out And to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, who is... This is Nathaniel from the Gospel of John. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus, who is also known as the other Judas. How would you like to be known as the other Judas? There's another Mary in the New Testament. And now we've got the other Judas. Judas, not Iscariot. Most 
of the time. He's called Thaddeus. I think I would prefer that as well. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Look at this, who betrayed him. Every single time you see Judas Iscariot mentioned in the New Testament, we're we're told that he was the one who betrayed Christ. The gospel writers never could get over that. These 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So right off the bat, do you think this applies to us? Just probably not, right? We've got commission that supersedes this. So this is a specific time. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. So a couple of things to note. First, this was a very specific, detailed, short-term mission. They were only to go to the Israelites, not Gentiles nor Samaritans. But Jesus later commands his disciples to go to the whole world. At first, this is a very limited mission. We proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven has already arrived in the person of Jesus, although it is yet to come in full. Now, what was going on here? Jesus gave the apostles the authority to do all of these things. Raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the sick. Because these miracles, often known as signs in the New Testament, were appointing, were pointing, excuse me, to the authority of Jesus and the person of Jesus and who he was. When you think about miracles, you think that they happen all the time. But they're in, in, in sections of Scripture. You, you, you find them um, with Moses authenticating the authority of the word. You find them with prophets. You don't find them hardly at all with David or Solomon, most of the kings. But you find them with the prophets. Then you find them with Jesus, then with the apostles. And all, all the time they're, they're pointing to the authority of Jesus Christ. So does God still do those things today? Yes, he does. But they're much more limited in scope. And it seems to me, I, what my understanding is, that they're most readily seen in places where the word is not fully developed or there is open and intense spiritual warfare, such as in developing countries. You hear a lot, uh, you, you, Satan is on the scene and does crazy things. And the Lord allows his servants to step up and counter those with the power of God that shows the authority of Scripture. It's always pointing to Scripture, and Scripture is always pointing to Jesus. Also, we should note that not everyone is sent to other places to proclaim the gospel. You will recall the demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes in Mark 5, who, after he was delivered from his, de- from his demons, begged Jesus, let me go with you. And what did Jesus say? No, son, you stay here and tell the people in your neighborhood 
What great things the Lord has done for you. Verse 9. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay until you depart. Once again, this is not the pattern for those who were going long-term on the mission field. This was short-term mission. Jesus wanted them to know that the Lord would take care of their needs, which is a good lesson for us all. And it was a very different day. It wasn't where you could go to a hotel and say, I'd like a room for the night or I'm going to need it for three or four days. You would go to the square and people would say, hey, you need a place to stay? You can come in and stay with us tonight. Even so, even though Jesus was directing them in this way, we have spent a month in the book of Philippians talking about the relationship between a missionary and his or her supporting church. Verse 12, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace Return, let your peace, repeace. Get that? Repeace, turn to you. Let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now, that's one we're probably not going to obey. It might be legit for the day. But we're not going to do it too often, but we sometimes need to do that psychologically or emotionally. We're pretty messed up when people reject the message that we share. We, we, we shouldn't be surprised. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town who heard and rejected. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocents as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, this is an example of Jesus giving information to the disciples that didn't make sense to them at the time, but it would be perfectly understood later. There's no record of on this particular trip, this short mission trip, of the disciples being dragged before governors and kings. But they would be later, as have many Christians through the centuries. Verse 20 is not a command to go as a missionary without theological training, but rather it is a comforting word for those who are fearful that they will be forced to defend their message in a tense moment. What a promise that God the Father through the Spirit will guide us as we proclaim Jesus. Here's a, just an example of how that might work. 
I did a funeral many years ago, and I don't know. I, I really didn't know why. I just compelled, I felt compelled to ask a number of people to pray for me on that day. Uh, one elder sitting on the front in the front here, Jim McLaughlin, showed up at that funeral, and I am so grateful that he did. But I started when I started proclaiming the gospel. I felt a strong sense of demonic activity and opposition. And I had handwritten this message out. And what kept going through my mind was, skip this paragraph, skip this paragraph, skip this paragraph. I never did. I just kept proclaiming the gospel. And part of me was very scared and very courageous at the same time, not from my own courage. Jim will tell you, there were clearly demons present in people on that day. And you know what I felt as I was saying, skip this paragraph? It's like hands behind me. The Lord, yes, honoring the prayers of his people. They did call them to pray. That's what's, being, that's what's being stated here. God will give us the courage to stand in these places. And the rest of the chapter is going to inform us that while our mission will be painful at times, it is our calling, and it's the only way we will ever find life. Not... Abundant life, it's the only way we will ever find life. Because this is all in or out. It's life or death. That's why these, the process to become a member at Grace and the questions that are asked up front are so thorough and so pointed because it's that serious. All right, verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, just imagine it. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, all will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's one of the ways God spreads his church is to persecute it. A disciple, or allow it to have persecution. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. So I deserve, bye-bye. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, 
and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him or fear God who can destroy both soul <coughs> and body in hell. When you hear people say, well, God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves to hell. What? Okay, and what you're doing is standing out here and wanting to apply it out here. God does send people to hell. He casts them into hell. Those who don't believe, it's a serious message. And no wonder people hate us for it, no matter how gentle and lowly we are. They do to us what they did to the Savior. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground even from your father, apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. And, and, and Peter had trouble with this from time to time. God is merciful. I'm not saying if you ever wimp out sometime that you're not a Christian, but this is, the, this is the pattern. This is the principle. This is the truth. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come, tough words, to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy worthy of me and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it whoever receives you receives me whoever receives me receives him who sent me the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his Reward And may the Lord bless the reading of this word. I'm going to ask Kyle and Erica White to come forward. These are two of the newest members of our mission team. We're going to have our last panel. Uh, I'm going to be asking them about missions. Uh, the purpose of these interviews has been to talk about how the mission team serves the body by serving missionaries and connects us with our missionaries on the field, but it's an important thing also that the, that the mission team does when it considers those who are thinking about going onto the field. So Kyle and Erica, we'll talk a little bit about um, what it means or how do you know 
if you are called. So, I know you guys are seriously praying about going on the mission field. And you're thinking about that in the future. I know you love to do like short-term stuff, but also you're thinking about more of a long-term maybe. What are some considerations for those who think the Lord might be calling them to serve on the mission field away from their home and family? Yeah, I think my first inclination for someone who's considering that is just to celebrate it. It's a huge need. It will continue to be a huge need until heaven. And if the idea of making heaven crowded excites you, I think that's a great place to start. Um, More practically, I would encourage them to talk to an elder or staff member or missions team member or just a lay member who's done mission work here at Grace. They're They're not super hard to find here. Yeah, and I'd also say to examine your personality. Um, You know, missions requires a lot of flexibility and adaptability, so uh, just kind of look at yourself and ask yourself some tough questions. Are you you open to change, or do you kind of run away from it? Does that give you a lot of anxiety? Um, Do you interact with other cultures? Are you naturally curious about other cultures and empathetic to uh, what they may think instead of our own cultural norms? Um, And also, like, languages and stuff. Are you open to learning another language? Or does the thought of that kind of overwhelm you? Um, You know, and also, like, do you know your neighbors? Like, are you actively engaging people with the gospel that are around you in your life right now? Because if you don't do it here, you're not going to do it there, right? So um, do you know your neighbors? Are you trying to find ways to incorporate uh, the gospel and incorporate, um, you know, Christ and your faith into the conversations that you have uh, here and now? Those would be, like, really good things to to ask yourself. Yeah, it's it's for sure... If you're not doing it here, what makes you think you're going to do it on the field? But that's interesting to think about personality and language training and all of that. But that's all part of it, isn't it? Well, uh, so not everybody's able to go full-time. We know that. In fact, percentages are going to be relatively low of the people that go, which is why such a great thing, Erica, to say, celebrate it. When somebody wants to go, let's celebrate and let's... Let's go with them as much as we can possibly go. So if we're called to be here and just to stay where we are, what are some ways for our church, Grace Community Church, to operate with a missions mentality, even if the Lord desires for us to stay here for the rest of our lives? How do we think missions even though we're not part of missions? Yeah, I'd say that, like, Operating with that missions mentality is not just like a good idea that we should do, but also like a requirement. I would go to say it's a requirement that we're called to to live with a missions mentality, even if you're not going um, overseas. So uh, practical ways to do that, we pray. Um, pray for the missionaries that are over there. Pray for the missionaries on the mission field. And we, we say that all the time. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but like I'm very tempted to just gloss over it. Like, yeah, yeah, we pray and give. That's what we do. But when you, when you truly think about it, you're, you're praying for the God of the universe who created you, who created us, who created the person that you're praying for, who is actively involved in all of this. You're praying to him and he has the power to do it. Like prayer is not not powerful because we're asking him. Prayer is powerful because of the one who we are asking, right? So um, don't, don't gloss over prayer, but truly do pray for our missionaries. We talk about all the time how we partner with them and how they know just the... <laughs> You know, we're sharing ways that they can pray for us, just like they're sharing ways that we can pray for them. Um, and doing so specifically and doing so by name will be really, really, you know, helpful and beneficial to live that way. And also to give, you know, our financial needs are definitely a, a huge thing for them as they are 
uh, in this mission field. Yeah, and I would say in addition to praying and giving, if you are called to stay, uh, like the man in Mark 5, then see whatever environment you're currently in, whether that's your secular workplace or school or your stay-at-home mom or whatever, as your mission field. And so I remember the former president of the International Missionary Board, David Platt, he posed the question, like, what do you even call someone who loves overseas missions but doesn't go overseas to be a missionary? We well, call him a Christian, and so that's <laughs> most of us. Um, and so if that's you, then see where you are as that mission field. If anyone that you're around regularly finds out that you go to church or profess to be a Christian and that surprises them, that's a problem. And so live differently, be really kind, be positive when everyone around you is complaining, work really hard when everyone else is on their phone. And as you get to know people and as they get to know you, explain to them that the reason you do those things is because of the overwhelming love of Christ. And you would love to tell them more about that if they're open to listening. Yeah, and even, like, just getting out of your comfort zones. You know, like, we don't, we as Americans do not have to go overseas to have a cross-cultural experience, right? Yeah. It is, America's a melting pot. RDU is a melting pot. Uh, it's right here in our backyard. So there are plenty of organizations, um, plenty of clubs at Campbell um, who are internationally focused and deal exclusively with international students. Um, and those people would love a home-cooked meal. They would love to hear, you know, about you and about your lives just as much as uh, we challenge you to, to listen to their lives and, and to grow and get out of your comfort zone in that way. Um, so I guess praying and giving and also seeking opportunities to um, share Christ and getting out of your comfort zone. That's all such great stuff. Thank you, guys. Thank you for serving on the team. Thank you for bringing this heart of passion I often think about how important it is that the, we oldies need your passion and you need what little wisdom we, we can wisdom. still exactly. remember, you know, that we, that we can remember uh, yeah. that we've got, <laughs> got left. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. And even as you um, exit the stage, I'm going to mention uh, what you were talking about, Kyle, about praying for missionaries, uh, sort of in line with the text that we were looking at from Matthew chapter 10. It's interesting how many stories I've heard about people feeling a burden, sensing a real burden to pray for someone at a specific time. And it turns out that the missionary had that particular need. Well, that could be true of all believers. If you sense the Lord calling you to pray for someone, by all means do that. Um, and it's that supernatural life. It's just more to this life that meets the eye. Well, before we come to the Lord's table, I want to offer five points of application from our text with only a few sentences, <clears throat> excuse me, about each point. This will be good for a private study later this week if you are so inclined to do such things. So let's begin with this. One of the things that we see from this text is that it is a privilege to be sent by Jesus to announce his kingdom. We think about volunteering to serve on the mission field, and it's understandable, and it's a right thing to say about missions, but it's good to remember that the Lord has brought us into his family, and he's the one who is sending us, and it is a great privilege to go on his behalf. So he sends or situates us exactly according to his plan. Second, 
We do not go as beggars, but rather as heralds of a great king. Now, Jesus, in telling his disciples to go out, said, don't take any money with you. Again, it was a little bit of a cultural difference in that day. But we don't go. We don't think about, oh, can you help me? We are going as heralds. So be confident, even as you share with people what you're going to do and ask them, invite them to be a part of what the Lord is doing in your life. So, and, and let me ask you this. Do you think that witnessing is asking someone to trust Jesus or is it proclaiming the news to those who need to hear? Well, it's both. A herald is one who represents royalty, especially in times of war. And you get the sense that this is not an easy task that Jesus has given to us from his uh, words in Matthew 10. And that leads us to our next point, number three. God's judgment against sin is as necessary for our message as is the hope that we proclaim in Jesus. So, is Christianity sweetness and light, or is it raw and messy? <laughs> the answer is yes, right? I don't mean to imply that we're always proclaiming, breathing out fire and brimstone in our evangelistic efforts. In fact, it's almost like we're trying to undo some damage that was done earlier in our century. But the truth remains that there's a judgment waiting for those who don't believe. At the very least, think of your witness in terms of how important it will be on the day of judgment for those with whom you are sharing. They need to hear the truth. If you believe the day of judgment is certain and that it will come, then you should warn those who do not believe. Will that create trouble for you? Look, your very presence creates trouble for people, especially if they know, sometimes even if they don't know. You sense not only someone disliking you, but you sense a, 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 an objection to your presence. There's a, an unspoken, an un, uh, extrasensory kind of a... A notion that someone is... Spiritual warfare is real. So your very presence is going to offend some people. But surely the message is difficult. But there is hope. In point four, should you be called to suffer for the gospel, the moment you dread the most is the moment you will find him holding you up when everything in you wants to recoil. The hope is not in this point per se, but it's the promise that God will give you the words to say when an answer is demanded of you. First Peter 3.15 says to be ready for that moment. So when Jesus says that we are not to take thought to what we're saying, he's not saying go unprepared. No, we should know the gospel upside down, inside out, backwards, forwards, every single way. But when you get in a tense situation like that and everything is screaming in your head, walk away, walk away. 
the Lord will give you the courage and he'll give you words to say that you didn't even plan for. Last, following Jesus requires great sacrifice, but it provides great reward. (laughs) My, My goodness, members of our own household will oppose us and have us put to death. We don't know anything about that in our land. It would shock us to think of such things happening to us. But it's already the case in other parts of the world, and it has been for 2,000 years. And we must not think, well, just because it's in the Middle East doesn't mean it'll come here. It'll never come here, and hopefully it won't. Not for a long time anyway. Here's what I want to say, though. Many of you have broken relationships because of Jesus. Things would be a lot easier in your relationship with family members or friends, co-workers. But there's that Jesus in the middle of it all. Don't beat yourself up about those relationships because Jesus said they're going to happen. There's always hope for restoration in Christ. And there is great reward waiting for all believers on the day that all tears will be wiped from our eyes. Keep your eyes straight ahead and on the prize of Jesus' return and in the hope of heaven that we have in him. So as we move to the Lord's table, it's good to remember that when Jesus initiated this meal during the Passover, he was about to be cruelly rejected and abused by the very people he created. When he went to the cross, he went in our place. When he died on the cross, he took our punishment. When he was raised from the dead, it was an assurance not only of our forgiveness of sins when we repent and trust in him, but it was also a guarantee that we will be raised from the dead on the last day. So as the elders and deacons and worship team come forward, I'm going to give a few instructions about our time at the table. We're going to be receiving the elements from the front, and we go back to separate elements today. It's no longer those little cups. Uh, You'll be coming down the interior aisles. You'll be going back up the middle and the outer aisles. There will be someone... There will be a couple of elders or or deacons in front of each section. So take it in your section and then move on. If your section is larger than others, um, you can go to another section if the line gets backed up and there's a station free. If you need gluten bread, that will be available, or gluten-free bread, (laughs) that will be available uh, on on the table up front. So you can take it from here. And then also we'll have a server in the back if you're unable to come or choose not to for any reason. This meal is for believers. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to participate with us. If you're not a believer, I would suggest that you not partake of the elements. It's a serious business. I know it may not seem like it, but it is. The Lord has a great deal of to, to say about, about this. Just either remain in your seat or come forward and go through. It's okay. Don't, please don't feel awkward. We expect every Sunday there'll be someone here who's 
honest enough to say, I'm not a believer. And that's okay. We're so glad that you have decided to join us. I'm going to read the text in just a moment from Luke 22. Then I'll pass out the elements and we will begin our time. Ushers will let you know when it's your time to come forward. And please take the elements back to your seat, bread and juice, and then we will all partake together. But I want to give just a moment. The Lord talks about the need for us to examine our hearts before we come to this table. I hope you don't ever stay away from this table because, well, I'm sinning and I, I, I've struggled with this sin and I, I feel so badly about it. This table reminds us that there's forgiveness in Jesus. Confess your sin to the Lord and ask Him to cleanse you with the blood of Jesus Christ and then participate fully. So I'll give just a moment for you to pray in your heart silently. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.